All right, we spent the last three weeks defining Advent hope, right? We've been, been sitting in, in this idea of, of the hope of the Advent, right? The hope that we have because we live between the two Advents, between the first coming and the second coming, the first Advent and, and the second, right? When he came the first time to redeem and, and when he is going to come the second time to restore, we live in, in this bookended period, right? And, and that informs our hope, right? As, as followers of Christ, this should be the hope above every hope. This should be the hope that, that is the anchor of our souls. This should be the hope that ultimately uh, allows us to make sense of all the other things going on, right? This, this tension of living between the two comings, right? Knowing that, that he has come and he has paid the price of our redemption and he is coming and he will bring the full fulfillment of restoration. Now this week, uh, we moved on to the second candle. We, we lit the candle of peace, right? Having the right hope, uh, having Advent hope, will lead us to experience true peace, right? True peace is anchored in having the, the right hope. Um, in my conversations with people, uh, nothing's really changed, right? Um, there are a few topics that seem to dominate conversations, um, because it's dominating people's minds. It's what we're thinking about. It's the reality that we are living in, right? Uh, and, and in these conversations, man, it just seems like peace is really, really elusive these days. I think it is all the time, honestly, but I think maybe we're more aware of it because we have fewer distractions. Um, we have fewer ways of just kind of, you know, distracting ourselves from our anxiety or our restlessness. Um, there's only so many so many things you can do in the four walls of your own home before you start going stir crazy, right? And, and so people are struggling, right? We are struggling with anxiety and nervous energy. I had a conversation recently with one of my mentors, a good friend, um, a guy named Elliot Grudem. And Elliot uh, had a great metaphor that helped me kind of make sense of, of leadership, pastoral leadership during the season. He said, pastoral leadership right now is like you're, you're driving a bus uh, up a mountain road and, and it's right next to a precipice right and, and so you should have beautiful views and it should be an, uh, uh, both a challenge but also very rewarding the problem is you're doing it in a fog that doesn't allow you to see more than a foot in front of your bus and so you're, you're inching along and it takes all of your energy to go the next foot right be because you're 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 right next to a deadly drop off you can't see what's coming you're inching along and in fact the fog is so thick you don't even know how big your bus is anymore right you don't even know how many people are with you um you don't know how many people have fallen off the side or how many people got on the bus right it's just it's just this vague sense that we're all kind of moving up this hill in this fog and and that's an exhausting way to go up a mountain y'all um, mountains can be exhausting anyway, um, but doing it like that is, is doubly exhausting because it takes all of your energy to just simply move a foot at a time. And a lot of us are feeling that fatigue. A lot of us are feeling that, that restless energy um, of, of just putting out a tremendous amount of energy, but not moving very far as a result right? The fog is thick, and, um, and the fatigue and the restless anxiety are real. Um, and of course, things take so long, right? We're still in the middle of this COVID thing, 
right? This COVID thing, holy cow, right? When it, when it, when it kicked in last, I don't know, 10 years ago, um, uh, it, it, it was like this thing where you knew somebody who knew somebody who had COVID, right? And now I'm like, I know so many people who have it or have had it. And, and for a lot of us, it's, it's really coming a lot closer to home. This last week, um, we had an old friend pass away, right? She, she and her husband went to a family gathering uh, at Halloween. And um, somebody there was contagious and asymptomatic and spread it. And, and she and her husband got it. And uh, it wasn't long before uh, she was in the hospital and she passed away last week. Um, and, and there are more and more of these stories that are just landing closer and closer to home. And, um, you know, the people, our first, the people on the front lines, remember when we used to get in the parking lots at the, at the, at the hospitals and, and wave at, at, at all of the, the nurses and doctors and express our thanks? And, and uh, it's worse now than it's been. Right? We're moving into a stage where we're moving into the absolute worst stage of this thing, and nobody's driving to the parking lots anymore. Right? It, 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 we have people who are laboring um, unseen and, and increasingly unthanked under ridiculously exhausting and stressful situations. And it's, it's, it's not just doctors and nurses and first responders and, and those that are in child protective services and it, it's, it's hard for all of us. It's hard for all of us. This thing is just intense pressure, right? And it, and it doesn't seem to let up and it's not going to let up, um, especially as we move through the winter and we're seeing the, um, the, the spikes continue, right? Uh, and, and then in the background, we've got this election that will never end, right? It just, it's like one of those old Chevys that when you try to shut it off, it just keeps did it did it did it did it just, you know, it rattles in your driveway for the next 20 minutes trying to shut off. And, and it feels like there's just this continual drain, continual anxiety. And then, of course, we've got the holidays coming up, right? Holidays are always great, right, from a distance. And then they get close, and then it's like, oh, yeah, that's what that's like right? We have the stress of family. We have the stress of the event. We have stress of meeting expectations. We have the stress of, of loneliness. We have the stress of isolation. We, and, and now we have this stress of, of not only dealing with people's expectations, but dealing with expectations at a distance and disappointments and, and all of these things that compound it, right? And so we start hoping. We start hoping Right? We start hoping that the pandemic will, will be over faster than they say it will. We start hoping that, that this election thing will just settle itself, that, that people will calm down and stop being so angry and, and, and mistrustful and hateful toward one another. We, we just start hoping that, that um, these bad things will stop because we think that if those things out there will calm down, these things in here will also calm down. If, if the external circumstances will just resolve themselves in some satisfactory way, these internal tensions will also resolve themselves in some satisfactory way. The problem is, of course, that's a false hope. Um, uh, in this world, you will have trouble. Uh, it's just quoting Jesus, right? It's not going to go away. And, and the reality is, is, even if one trouble ends, another three are going to start. 
Um, solving external problems is not going to give you internal peace. And, and if you've been alive for longer than three hours, you already know this, right? You, you don't get internal peace from a resolution of external struggles. You have to find an internal peace and bring them to the external struggles, right? Peace works from the inside out, not the outside in. And, and, and we need the right hope to deliver us into true peace. And there is nothing better than Advent hope to actually meet us in those restless, anxious-filled places of our heart and to bring calm and contentment and security, right? There's nothing better. Um, It looks back at what Jesus did, right? And it anchors our our peace in, in what Jesus did right and it looks forward and and it anchors our hope in the peace that will come so i want to take a look at three aspects of of how advent hope delivers us into peace we're going to do it from romans 5 Um, romans 5 is a passage we've spent quite a bit of time in over the last couple of weeks as we were looking at advent hope Um, there's just some themes that tied in from from romans 15 to romans 5 that were just really really rich and uh, and what i want to do this morning is focus on the first two verses of, of this paragraph we've been sitting in, right? We've already been looking at three through five. We've spent quite a bit of time in those verses. We're gonna go back to verses one and two and spend some time in verses one and two and talk about, first of all, our foundation of peace, right? What is the foundation of genuine peace, right? And, and, and the, the foundation of our genuine peace is by looking back at Christ's first advent and what he did to win us peace with God, right? Take a look again at verse 1, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, incredibly loaded, loaded sentence, right? First of all, that therefore, right? Always remember, you always got to pause, right? When you see a therefore, you got to stop and ask why, what it's Therefore, right? That one of my old instructors told me that, and I, every time I read therefore, I hear that in the back of my head, right? And, and so what that means is that this statement is anchored in something that's already happened. He's already argued something. He's already said something, and this statement is, is like a summary statement or, or an assertion that comes from it. And here Paul is looking back to chapters 3 and 4 of Romans, right? He's looking back to this, this incredibly rich argument that he has already presented, right? In chapter 3... He's, he's presenting Christ as the one who has solved our greatest problem, right? That, that Jesus came and redeemed us. That was one of the critical words of chapter 3, right? He redeemed us. He paid the price to set us free, right? And he did it by becoming our propitiation, right, before God, right? Propitiation is a word that simply means satisfaction. He became the satisfaction to the debt that we owed. Right? He, he became dissatisfaction by becoming our substitute in judgment. Right? Taking our place in judgment, our hero, our substitute in judgment, and satisfying God's righteous wrath against sin. He bore the judgment I deserved. He took my place, right? Having lived the life I should have lived. The perfect life of a man created in the image of God, fully bearing the responsibility of that image out to creation, right? He did that. He lived the life I should have lived, and then he died the death I deserved to die. He took my death in my place, 
And then he rose again, showing that the payment was complete, that God was indeed truly satisfied, that, that death had swallowed my hero, but my hero was greater than death. And he broke back out, and in breaking out, he, he not only won his own way to resurrection, but he won mine too. As my hero, as my substitute, he took that journey on my behalf, right? And then we move into chapter 4 of Romans, where Paul has this extended argument where he's talking about how this incredible gift of forgiveness, of redemption, uh, of, of, of being set free comes to me by grace through faith. That this gift can't be earned, that this gift can't be deserved, that this gift, in fact, only comes to those who don't deserve it. One of the most beautiful verses in Romans 4, God justifies the ungodly, right? Not, not the self-righteous, not those who fix themselves, not those who, who work really, really hard and, and create a great image, not those who live a life worthy of, of, no, all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. He's already established that in three, right? No, God justifies the ungodly by grace, through faith. It's extended to us as unmerited, unearned love and favor. It is simply a free gift that is to be received by simply responding to the love of God with a responding love, to the promise of God with a responding trust. And when we respond in trust to the promise of the gospel, we are in fact redeemed. He becomes my hero. He took my place, right? Um, because God came to justify the ungodly. Not to help us fix our own lives, but to fix it for us, right? Therefore, he says, therefore, because I have laid out this beautiful, beautiful argument, because this, we, we have this beautiful truth that Jesus came to do what we couldn't do, to earn what we couldn't earn, to give a blessing we could never claim. And it is given to us by grace and we simply receive it through faith, therefore, right? Therefore, this is how God has designed this whole thing. Therefore, you are justified, right? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that word justified means to be declared right. It's a legal proclamation, right? God is the legal judge of the universe as the, the measure of all that is right is the only one that can declare what is right. And at the end of the day, his opinion is the only opinion that matters. And, and he looks at us sinners. He looks at us ungodly. He looks at us, those who have, who have blasphemed God by not bearing the image of God. And he says, you are just. You are declared right. The gavel comes down and the legal judgment of God on our behalf. You are justified by faith. You receive it simply by trusting the promise that you will be justified because Jesus was your substitute in death and rose again for your justification. Therefore, since we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ me me with all my failures with all my sin with all my my the sin I know and the sin I don't the weaknesses that that I fight against and the ones I don't 
fight against me who has tried to rob God of his glory countless times right like like I'm glad God is glorious I just want a little bit for myself right I want people not only to praise God I want people to praise me right so I I blaspheme God by trying to rob the glory of God from the God of glory right I, I do all of these things and yet I come before him and I have peace with God not because of what I've done but because of what he's done on my behalf not because of who I am but because of who he is not because of my performance, but because of his performance. I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. I have simply trusted the promise and received the blessing of the gospel. And having received this incredible blessing by grace, through faith, I have peace with the righteous, holy, creator God against whom I have sinned countless times, but before whom I now stand in peace. The, the preposition with here is, is, is there's, there's some powerful, um, in the Greek, there's, there's a powerful motion to it, right? We have peace with God. The, the, the Greek preposition is pros, which means toward or to. Now, it does mean with as well. It's not that it doesn't, but it has an idea of motion. And what I love about this is that it carries this idea that we've been introduced into this condition. We've been brought face to face with our creator. The, the God of the universe. The one who is truly righteous, holy, and perfect. Uh, the one before whom, honestly, we should be trembling in fear. Right? Whenever the glory of God is manifest throughout the scripture, people fall on their faces as if dead. Right? There is something unnerving about coming into the presence of genuine holiness because I'm not holy I know that I'm ungodly right but I've been declared holy and so I've now been brought into this introduction like I stand face to face with my creator and I have peace with him because I have been declared right. I, I no longer stand in my rebellion. My rebellion's been removed. I no longer stand in my failures. My failures have been washed away. I no longer stand in my shame because my shame is no longer my own. He took it on my behalf. That, that, you remember when our first parents sinned way back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, right? What's the first thing they did after they sinned? They, they sensed their shame, their inadequacy to come into the presence of God, and they jumped into the bushes, which was a powerful metaphor for what we do. We, we hide behind our performance. We hide behind our pretending. We hide behind our false morality. We hide behind our comparisons of my strength against your weakness. We, we're continually hiding our weakness. And Romans 5 tells us we now stand face to face with the God of perfection without any need to hide, without any need to jump into the bushes, without any need to pretend or perform or make excuses or blame others or pretend that we're not desperately in need. We can show up exactly as we are in our need because our need is met. And we have peace because God has declared us right. Jesus leads us out of our hiding, out of our moral pretending and out of our religious performing, and he leads us into the very presence of God, our creator. We're no longer covered in his shame because we are now covered in his righteousness. 
We now stand covered in the record of Christ because he took our record on the cross. We get his record of resurrection, right? So the foundation of our peace is looking back to the first advent and realizing and focusing on and meditating on what Jesus did to bring us peace with God. Advent hope is anchored in the peace that we have with God through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Advent hope grows in our experiential, um, our experience of the peace of God, right? We have peace with God because of what Jesus did, and we grow in our experience of the peace of God, right? Take a look at verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. See, Jesus brought us face to face with God and established our position before him. And, 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 and we now stand in this position of peace with God, right? When God looks at us, he doesn't see an enemy. When God looks at us, he doesn't see a failure. When God looks at us, he doesn't see someone who is seeking to rob him of his glory and blaspheme his name. He, he sees his son, right? We have peace with God. Now Paul says that we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The grace that brought us face-to-face with God now defines our complete relationship with God. Right? It wasn't simply a one-time gift of pardon. It is a new status. It is a new... We've been ushered in, right? We have access, introduction. We've been brought face-to-face with God, and we have been in that, in that ushering. We, we have been introduced, announced into this new status of grace. That we stand in a status of grace. Listen, follower of Christ, you weren't just given grace when you believed. You were ushered into a completely new state defined by grace. A new status of grace. Right? You weren't just pardoned and declared right. You were fully accepted and embraced and adopted into the family, right? right? The judge didn't just bring down the gavel to declare you innocent of all charges and then dismiss you, right? The judge didn't just boom and, and then sit back and be like, okay, I declare you right. Go on about your business, right? No, no, he, the judge brought down the gavel He declared you right, and then he came down himself, and he took off his robe, and he embraced you, and he invited you into his inner chamber, where there is a table of grace, the table at which only his family sits, the table at which is the outpouring of his delight. You are not simply forgiven. You are also adopted. You are not simply cleansed of your past record. You are invited and ushered in to an entirely new experience of the unfettered, unreserved, unblemished, uncritical love of God. 
He hugged you and he brought you in. He didn't just pardon you, he adopted you. And you now have access, continual access, to this incredible privilege of grace. But what happens when you sin again? What happens when, when, okay, yeah, I confessed my sin and he forgave me, but what happens when I do it again? And what happens when it actually becomes a chronic problem in my life? Not only do I do it again, but I do it again and again and again and again. And what happens when, when I not only do it by accident, but I do it on purpose? And, and what happens when, when my failure is so great in my own eyes that I can't imagine loving myself, let alone the God of the universe, loving me? What happens then? What happens when you in your daily life don't match what he has declared you to be by his decree? There's something really beautiful about this verb, this verb, given access, is the tense. Again, English nerd coming out. Tense indicates when an action takes place. Past, present, future, that's what we're used to, right? This is called the perfect tense. And the perfect tense means something that occurred in the past but has ongoing present implications. Right? So it occurred in the past, but the effects are ongoing. You were given access, and you continue having access. Like it is an ever-present invitation back into the circle and experience of grace. You don't lose your access. You didn't earn it. You don't unearn it. You didn't buy it. You can't lose it. It is your gift by grace. It is an ever-present invitation back to the table of grace. It's a remarkable thing. We have been given access into this grace in which we stand. And we grow. Here's the thing. You don't lose the grace that Christ has won for you, but, but you do at times lose your experience of it, don't you? You don't lose the gift, but you often lose the internal experience of that gift. Right? You, you never lose everything Christ has won for you, but you often don't experience much of what Christ has won for you. Right? So we grow in this experience of grace by growing in our faith to experience it. Listen, we don't, we don't grow in the gift itself. The gift is absolute, complete, unshakable, and immeasurable. God doesn't measure his grace toward us by our faith toward him. But our faith toward him doesn't limit how much of the grace we actually personally experience through our internal, personal, emotional experience, right? The gift is absolute, complete, irreversible, and unshakable, but our experience of that gift is growing. We have peace with God through the work of Jesus, so we progressively grow in our experience of that gift as we grow in our faith in our Savior. Listen, you know, isn't it true when we fail? What's our first impulse? When once again we see our shame, when once again we see that we are rebels, once again we see that we are the ungodly, what's our, our impulse is to jump back in the bushes, isn't it? Isn't that the first thing we want to do? Like pull back and hide pretend, work it off, 
perform, maybe beat ourselves up enough so that we can feel like somehow we've helped Jesus pay for our sin. Right? I'm just going to beat myself up long enough. I'm going to call myself stupid. I'm going to de- degrade myself, and I'm, I'm going to do all these things because somehow I think that's the appropriate response when I sin because if I beat myself up so enough, then, then maybe, I can, maybe I can come back and actually be worthy of grace, which, of course, is a complete and ridiculous misunderstanding of the nature of grace to begin with. You never deserve it. And, and you cannot become a co-redeemer with Jesus, right? You can't bear the suffering for your own sin because he bore it all. What's left for you is not suffering, but grace. What's left for you is, is not your best efforts to earn it, but to learn how to receive it and rest in it. You, in fact, are transformed, not by trying to be worthy of it, but by recognizing you can't be, and instead resting in the love of God that actually makes you worthy. That's when you are transformed. That's when you are changed. When you learn to rest. And it's as you learn to rest that you will experience the peace. That anxiety, that internal turmoil, that restlessness, that self-condemnation, that that need to be seen in a certain light, to to be recognized by the right people, to have your record, all of these self-justifying impulses will be quieted as we learn to simply rest in the fact that he's done for us what we can't do for ourselves. We grow in our experience of the peace of God as we learn to rest in our peace with God. As we learn and grow in our faith that there really is no need for us to fear. The grace really is undeserved, unmerited, unmeasured, boundless love. That God is not sitting back, disappointed, waiting for you to fix yourself or prove yourself or stop being in so much need. When you can actually hear Jesus as he whispers to you that you are free of judgment. That his love for you is boundless in its scope and unfettered in its expression when you can listen and believe to the quiet whisper when Jesus says, I died so you can live. I was condemned so you could be justified. I paid your price. Come back to the table of grace. See, as we grow in faith, in a responding love to that love, in a responding trust to that promise, as we grow in faith, we will grow in our experience of internal peace. As we simply come to rest in the reality that God is not disappointed in you. God is not waiting for you to live up to your potential. God is not sitting back with his arms crossed wondering when you're going to stop being so needy. He's running towards you. Like the father in the prodigal son, when he sees his son coming at a great distance, the father, to his own humiliation, picks up his robes and does what no Jewish man in that culture ever did. He ran to his son. And he embraced his son. And he put his robe on his son. And he gave the ring of authority to his son. Not because he deserved it. Not because he earned it. But because the Father loved. 
Listen, y'all, he, he's not waiting on you to prove yourself. He's gently calling you to stop. To stop working. Stop restlessly fixing. Stop pretending. Stop performing. Get out of the bushes. And come to the embrace. It is our peace with God that gives us the profound experience of the peace of God. What's really cool, y'all, is he's not waiting for you to live up to your potential. He's already declared your potential. You will live up to your potential. Not by your own effort. Not by your own work. You will get there. You know why? Because he's declared that it will be. Right? When, when, he, when he decided he was going to redeem you, he had decided already he was going to restore you. He not only paid the price for you to have the peace with God so that you could grow in the peace of God, but so that you could enter into the eternal peace that we call shalom. The Hebrew word for peace, shalom, is a rich theological word. And it indicates way more than a lack of conflict, right? When, when the Old Testament prophets are speaking about the shalom of God reigning over creation, right? We're not talking about... about um, people stopping fighting. That's part of it. It's way more than that. It's when we are constructively and purposely all harmonized to the glory of God. It's not the lack of conflict. It's the fullness of life. It's not just an absence of what is wrong. It is the presence of all that is right. At the end of our verse 2, it says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That is a promise of full and absolute restoration. It doesn't mean, you know, we've talked about this in previous weeks. The word glory here is a technical word. It does not mean you're going to glow someday. Right? That's not a very good hope. It doesn't mean that you're going to be morally perfect one day. That is true, but that's not our hope. The hope of the glory of God is that you will be what you were created to be. That you will actually be able to carry out the job description of humanity that has been entrusted to you as one created in the image of God. You will be able to image God to creation. You will be able to bring all of your strength, all of your creativity, all of your intellect, all of your, all of your joy, to the task of imaging God by loving God and loving others, by, by, by stewarding this incredible gift that God has given us in creation, the raw materials of creation, and building culture together in the kingdom of God. Our hope is the glory of God, the shalom, the reestablishment of shalom in the created order where everything is once again aligned with its creational purpose. If you were to take a full room of pianos and try to tune them, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it, right? If you, if you tune the first piano and then tune the second piano off the first one, the third one off the second one, and, and the fourth one off the third one, at the end of the day, you're going to have a room that is not very harmonious. 
Because every time you tune a piano off another piano, you get a certain amount of variance, and that variance simply magnifies over time, and you end up with a cacophony, right? You end up with something that is not harmonious. It doesn't sound good. And, and that's our creation right now. Everybody is tuned off of some vision of the fullness of life that isn't the true vision. And as a result, we're continually in conflict, and we simply have noise. We have noise in the culture, we have noise in politics, we have noise in the church, we have noise in our families. We have this continual noise. The shalom of God is when there is a single pitch off which everything else is tuned, when every piano is tuned to the same note, not to one another in competition or comparison, but to the same note. And as a result, you end up with a beautiful harmony, more profound than anything you can ever imagine when everything is once again aligned with its creational purpose, you end up with something transcendently beautiful. Paul says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We look forward with yearning. We look back with gratitude. We look forward with yearning. We find peace with God because of the first coming of Christ. We experience the peace of God as we grow in our faith in, in what he's done. And we grow in our yearning as we look forward to the shalom of God, the peace of God, once again, reestablished in all of creation. You know, how silly is it for us to get worked up about such temporary things like elections? As if our peace could, could be established by something as insignificant as a temporary election in a temporary kingdom in a temporary moment between the two advents. How silly is it for us to get all wrapped up in anxiety about, about wearing masks or not wearing masks or how long is this going to last when this is one moment, a difficult moment, but one moment in, in a, a series of moments that are, that are telling a story when we already know the beginning and ending of the, of the story. It's one difficult moment in a story with a glorious ending. We know what's coming because we know who came. This is the source of our peace when our Advent hope is our primary hope. And we allow that hope to inform our peace. And we are settled. And every day we wake up with the realization, again, the shocking realization, that our greatest debt has already been paid. And our greatest problem has already been solved. And our greatest blessing has already been given. We look back for its foundation. We look forward to its fulfillment. And in the middle, we grow in the peace that only comes from resting on who he is and what he's done. Listen, y'all, instead of trying to change the circumstances around you in the hope that somehow that is going to change the anxiety and the restlessness and the difficulty in your own heart, recognize that 
that what you need is by faith to enter in to the peace that is yours in Christ and then you will be able to bring that peace to the circumstances around you and you will become a peacemaker instead of a peace taker you will be actually be a blessing as you bring the peace that Christ has established into your heart into the conflict into the fear into the anxiety that surrounds us daily. And in so doing, we get to be a witness once again. Not only do we get to experience the grace, we get to share it with others. Not only do we get to taste the peace, we get to invite others. Not only do we get to come to the banquet table, we've been given a free pass to give away as many invitations as we can. People need us to come to them, not with our anxiety, but with our joy. And we need to recenter ourselves on the person and work of Christ, to recenter ourselves on our peace with God so we can experience our peace, the peace of God, and awaken that hunger for the restoration of the peace of God in all of creation. We need it, our neighbors need it, our families need it. And praise God, we have peace because of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. We are going to share communion together. <clears throat> and, um, and then we'll close in song. We close this in prayer. Father, I thank you that you paid the price for our peace, that Scripture says we were at enmity with you. We were actually enemies. We we were hostile combatants. In our sin, we competed with you instead of resting on you. We saw your glory as something to be claimed for our own. We wanted to be like you, in competition with you, instead of being humbly grateful that we were simply created to be humbly dependent. What a profound love that you would come to your enemies and while we were yet sinners have Christ die for us. Not once we earned it, not once we fixed ourselves, not even once we asked for it you initiated in love to invite us to respond and trust. That humility is mind-boggling. That love is amazing. Lord, will you awaken our hearts this morning to the beauty of that love? Will you awaken a responding love to your love? Will you awaken a responding trust to that promise? Would you remind us, Spirit, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because we have been justified by faith. Spirit, we will awaken within us a deeper and more profound experience of the peace of God. That promise, Jesus looked at his disciples the night he was leaving and said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Lord, we need that peace. 
We need that peace. We need that promise fulfilled in our hearts. And awaken our yearning for the true fulfillment of peace when all things will be set right. We thank you that our peace rests in your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.